the International Door Association's DoorCast. The ITA DoorCast will provide news and notes from the building and remodeling industry and tips and tidbits to help you improve your business. Now, here's your DoorCast host, IDA Executive Director, Mike Fisher. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the IDA DoorCast. Our guest today is Brenton Cheney. Brenton's going to talk about just-in-time inventory. The topic is when just-in-time is out of time. With the challenges that we're dealing with throughout the supply chain today, understanding how to manage inventory has never been more important for door dealers. Brenton is going to share strategies to balance the needs of customers and your operations, and at the same time, managing your cash flow. Brenton Cheney is the president of IDA, and actually, he is the first IDA president who came through the ranks of the YPN. Brenton is president of the Frontier Building Products Pacific Corporation. Brenton, welcome to the DoorCast today. Thanks, Mike. It's good to be here. So why don't you start out uh, today, tell us about your business, give us more detail about your locations and what kind of products you handle. Yeah, we are uh, mostly a commercially based company. We have uh, locations in Northern California, in the San Francisco Bay Area, as well as in Utah. I'm uh, in Salt Lake today, uh, driving around selling doors, but uh, we do uh, overhead doors, performance doors, dock equipment, uh, and pretty much anything else for uh, material handling uh, in, and, in and out of buildings. Business is good, I take it? Business is very good right now. You know, there's uh, challenges that we're having to deal with, but, you know, we are coming out of, out of COVID probably stronger than we went in, which is, a, which is good. We're lucky. That is good to hear. Well, speaking of COVID, I remember the last time that I was in Salt Lake City. We were on our way to the Expo in 2020. Yeah, we were, uh, we were more worried about hand sanitizer and toilet paper shortages than anything else at that time. It was, it was a different time, it seems, so long ago. This was before we had to worry about mandatory masks, about social distancing, and then, unfortunately, the business shutdowns that followed. When we left Salt Lake City, we returned to a completely different world. Yeah, for IDA, essential services uh, was a task that we had to overcome and figure out what we were what we were actually classified as. You know, there was a brief uh, shutdown of pretty much everything while we kind of regrouped and and figured out what we were doing. A lot of the job sites shut down as we were trying to figure out, uh, you know, how to manage and handle, you know, all of the COVID and the the regulations that we were getting that were getting thrown at us. So, um, you know, it managed it. Uh, it impacted our suppliers as well as all the dealers and everybody, all the members of IDA. I seem to recall talking to you about this at the time. And didn't you have to make appointments to actually schedule your job site visits so they could control how many individuals were actually working on the job site at, at the same time? Yeah. So the depending on the size of the job site, they would only allow a certain number of people or employees on the job site. So you, you had to even be more diligent in your scheduling on days, actually, there was a couple of job sites on days when the inspectors were there, no one else was allowed to be on the job site because they were afraid that the inspectors might get COVID. And then that would even worse impact the system if the inspectors weren't allowed to uh, be on the site because they were sick. So that they would kick everybody off the job sites, not just limit how many people were there. Obviously, that would have a big effect on the time it takes to complete projects for each sub and the whole project as well. So it's uh, problematic, obviously. So you mentioned the toilet paper shortages. It wasn't just that, obviously. We had to deal with simple things like getting Lysol wipes. And of course, the hand sanitizer was also uh, would have been a good investment in the pre-COVID days, actually. 
all, a lot of this has been blamed on just-in-time inventory, which is a strategy that's been de deployed in many industries. Can you tell us a little bit about your approach before COVID on just-in-time inventory and then how this has been affected since COVID? Yeah, just-in-time inventory is not a, a new you know, business model, and it, it works very well as long as the just-in-time portion of the indus industry and the supply chain isn't uh, impacted very much. And so, you know, we used to only stock a very minimal amount of uh, materials. We would order materials basically just in time to have them delivered, just in time for us to be able to go out and install them. And um, unless there was something that was specific or something that had longer lead times kind of normally, we weren't stocking very much because it allowed us to manage our cash flow differently by not having cash sitting in inventory, we were able to utilize that differently. But with the challenges that we're having because of supply chain issues, because because of shortages of materials and parts, I mean, you know, it it, it seems like it was all aspects of, of our industry. You know, springs is a big thing that we have shortages on right now. And operators was something that was pretty hard to get, you know, maybe still today, but, you know, four months ago was operators and and all kinds of different things. So we're actually inventorying more items now than we were, even for things that aren't just to support uh, service, which usually you need a shorter lead time on materials to support your service service sides of your business. Um, we're stocking more and more things. Or another thing that we've kind of started doing is uh, ordering extra materials or extra replacement parts with our larger orders you know, we can expect there's going to be a certain amount of damage or a certain amount of shortage or different things like that. Or, you know, somebody's going to run into something on a job site. And so instead of at that point, then ordering the replacement materials for those, we're kind of anticipating a little bit and, and ordering extra, you know, maybe an extra section or two or ordering things ahead of time so that, uh, you know, we already waited on the lead time to get the material there. It's, kind of frustrating to have to wait on one or two sections or a part or a piece that got damaged for another, you know, six, eight, 10, 16 weeks or something like that. So we're anticipating a few of those things and inventorying more things and uh, kind of utilizing our cash in our business for the cash flow a little bit differently to be able to service our customers in. Um, and most of the time, their understanding of, of the challenges that we're facing, because they're facing them in kind of all different aspects of their business but uh you know we we're we're making changes as we go and and what we were doing six months ago is maybe not exactly what we're doing today but we have to kind of stay on top of that as as the uh the landscape of our supply chain changes a little bit so you're trying to turn your investment in selling into your balance sheet more quickly by managing your inventory that way to make sure that you don't lose additional time in the process Sounds like we're still dealing with ripple effects on this. So what other industries are dealing with this? It can't just be the garage door industry. No. Um, yeah, it's definitely all industries. I mean, I think that we, we've we seen it in other building products related industries. You know, uh, win window manufacturers and uh, are, are a notorious just-in-time type of manufacturing situation. Um, lumber has had huge increases in lead time changes but also the auto industry. I mean, it was just in the news the other day that Ford is short like a million chips or something like that because they're made in China and all of the situation with their supply chain, which is probably way more complicated than our supply chain. So it's affecting 
I, I don't know if there's an industry that hasn't been affected. Very good point. So misery does love company. Maybe that's helpful. We've been talking about COVID as really the reason why we're having these problems, but it really isn't just about COVID, is it? No, it, I mean, the, our industry specifically when, when Texas basically froze over, had that big snowstorm that caught everybody and uh, shut down their power grid, that affected uh, aluminum supply chains, which affects us. That affected petroleum products a ton, which affects us. You know, so it's not just COVID. It's, you know, natural disasters like hurricanes, it, weather. I mean, we've all dealt with supply chain, you know, here in the Western United States in the winter, it, you don't know if somebody's going to get stuck on the side of the road in a snowstorm. I mean, so there's a lot of ways that not just COVID right now, that's just a big one now, but that the supply chain can be affected by by many other factors. Well, yes, the Hurricane Laura in particular that hit the Gulf Coast was uh, horrific. One of our other DoorCast guests is Joy Abshire with Ador Works in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And Joy will be sharing some stories that she's had to deal with on the operation side. It's not just about the door side, it's actually about their operations. Their warehouse was destroyed, so they don't even have a place to store store inventory. So. Uh, that'll be on another podcast. Hope you'll tune into that, everybody. So this does sound like we're in tough times. I, I think what we have seen throughout history is that tough times do create opportunities. And as you said earlier, you're very busy and you're hoping to come out of COVID stronger than you went into it. I, I think that's what we all hope for. So how is that working? How, how are you in such a strong position? What have you done specifically, Brenton, to get through this tough time? And what can you share of that uh, with other door dealers who find themselves literally in the same boat? Yeah, because of COVID, there were there were two for my business specifically. There were kind of two main factors that happened uh, that were forced upon us because of the things that were happening as related to COVID that made us evaluate our business. And, and those two things were one: everybody that I know and 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 the business and industry as a whole was was actually pretty strong before COVID. Things were going well before COVID for our industry. And we were growing and we were busy. And so COVID forced us to kind of stop, slow down and reevaluate our business when we were not being forced by the growth that we were experiencing and the busyness and so on and so forth. So um, because we were forced to slow down, we were able to kind of reconfigure some of our processes in our business that made us more efficient um, or made us more profitable or, you know, made us run a better business because we weren't fighting our own growth. And the second thing that happened is because we slowed down immediately, we had to take a really hard look at our financial stability because the government basically was telling us, hey, you may not be back to work for a month or two or three or, you know, California you know, the day after they shut down California and issued the stay, uh, the, the stay at home mandate, I mean, it was like, you know, driving around in the Bay Area was like driving around on Christmas Day. I mean, there was nobody. And so we had to take a really hard look at our financial stability and our financial abilities that we had to kind of weather the storm, whether that for us, that storm was COVID in California specifically. And uh, so we really took a look at those processes and those financial situations in our business. And because we did that, we were able to really be a better business and, and run a better business and be more financially sound. And uh, without being forced to do that, we may have postponed it and postponed it. And But you know, th those were two big things that came out. And I would recommend anybody else that is uh, 
fighting their own fight as far as growth and being busy and everything like that. It's amazing what a little bit of a slowdown and then reflection on what you're fighting and how looking at your profitable portions of your business and the non-profitable portions of your business, and maybe they're all profitable, but which ones are more profitable and evaluating what you want to do going forward. And it, it made a big difference in our business. In one of our other IDA DoorCast discussions, I was speaking with Dan Apple from the Apple Group, and Dan uh, offered some advice for door dealers. What Dan said was that every door dealer should have a financial advisor on hand. So whether that means uh, more than just having someone who's a bookkeeper who can balance your checkbook on your staff or having someone who can handle not just your accounting, but also be able to provide the appropriate level of financial analysis to help direct the business forward. What do you think about that? Is that good advice? I think that's, I think that's great advice. I mean, uh, our many industries in the trades, but our industry, we kind of joke about it's a, you know, it's a bunch of door guys and we're just working hard and that's how we, you know, that's how we survive. So, you know, I've talked with Dan Apple on a number of occasions, as well as Joseph Roberts from E squared. And I would say, whatever money that you spend, making sure that you're financially sound and that your business is where it needs to be, is probably uh, money that you will make back in short order after evaluating that. So we utilize that. And and I would recommend that to anybody. Because um, the more you know about your business, and the financial health of your business, the more you can make business decisions that are going to, you know, be beneficial to you. Thanks, Brenton. So as we deal with these problems and these tough times and these opportunities, what about communications, suppliers and customers? What's changed in how you're dealing with that front specifically? Communication is, is always important, but um, it has become more important since, uh, with the changing lead times that we've been having and kind of a, the volatility of pricing and the volatility of, of even material supply and stuff like that, communication is, is key. And I, I would definitely recommend anybody have those conversations with your customers, whether they're residential or commercial or whether it's contractually related or not, have those conversations sooner than later. It will only be a better conversation sooner Later, it, it may be the same or worse, but communication is definitely key. And uh, I've definitely found that most people are understanding of the situation, you know, their understanding of the price increases that we're having, their understanding of the lead time problems, because they're dealing with it, you know, especially if it's a contractor that you're working with, they're dealing with it from almost every trade. And so working with them ahead of time to try and find solutions versus coming to them and saying, hey, you want this tomorrow and I don't have it for another month. That conversation would have been good to have a month ago when you knew. So I would say communication often and early. It makes sense. And obviously you want to be truthful in how you're communicating with the customers. You've you, you got to level with them on this front. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you tell somebody a lie and then you get caught in it, that's, that's just bad news. That's bad news. It's just bad. That's bad business. So lies are... The, the truth is way easier to remember than the lies. Not to mention that it's the right thing to do, of course, but in business... Besides the right thing to do, it's always the right thing to do. Interestingly enough, on this topic, I did talk to Randy Oliver, another uh, IDA, a former IDA president, Randy Oliver. We were talking about some of these issues that he's dealing with, and he, he almost laughed about it. He's, he told me a story about going out to talk to a residential builder, and he was coming in with a price increase, and it's the second time, apparently, 
in a six month period where Randy had to talk to this particular contractor. He, he said it was crazy because the, uh, the response he got that he was afraid of was actually very easy because the contractor had already realized that his lumber package went up by thousands and thousands of dollars. So here's his garage door supplier coming in with a, with a very modest increase on, on something that's you know a lot less expensive. And he almost shrugged his shoulders. So Randy, Randy noted that in particular. So yeah. I think that's, a, that's kind of a, a different paradigm today. Yeah, I, um, I just had a conversation with a contractor that we're providing a whole bunch of dock equipment on actually here in Salt Lake City uh, this week. And I was not looking forward to it because I was going to go to him and say, hey, the, the equipment that we thought was going to be here on this date is actually going to be delayed by a month. And that's a, a, you know, normally a huge delay of, you know, a month delay and stuff like that. So I called him and I was talking to him and, uh, and uh, it turns out, obviously he's dealing with this in, in, you know, with all the different trades and stuff like that. And the whole job is six weeks behind. And so if I show up a month behind, I'm actually two weeks ahead of schedule. So the conversation went very well. And I went from thinking I was going to be a month behind to being two weeks ahead of schedule. And he was happy that I called him and glad that the equipment wasn't going to show up because he didn't know where the heck we were going to put it anyways. So less handling and less damage likely to happen in that case. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, one of the things about lead times is there are a lot of things that can affect that. And, and as we said earlier, we're not alone in this. The door industry is not hanging out there on our own when it comes to these kinds of delays. We're going to take a break right now, but don't go anywhere because we'll be right back. Each year, the garage door and access systems industry observes Garage Door Safety Month. Garage Door Safety Month has been moved to May to coincide with the International Code Council's Building Safety Month. While the importance of safety is recognized year-round, May is a special month for IDA members to take the opportunity to share their dedication to safety with consumers and the markets they serve. For additional information about Garage Door Safety Month and to download your member toolkit, visit doors.org today. Welcome back to the IDA DoorCast. Uh, on the issue of lead times and delays, when Hurricane Laura hit, I guess almost a year ago, Lake Charles, Louisiana, they had a lot of roof damage. And when I talked to Joy uh, last week, she mentioned that here we are a year later almost, and there are still a lot of blue tarps on roofs all over Louisiana. So roofers can put blue tarps on roofs to keep the building safe from rain for a little while. What's the blue tarp solution for the door industry when you have those kind of issues where lead times are preventing you from installing your product in accordance with your contracts? You know, the blue tarp for the garage door industry, uh, you know, that, that could be a lot of different things depending on the situation. I guess my blue tarp story for me right now is I have I have one door that uh, it came in damaged, big surprise on uh, you know with what we've been dealing with sometimes, but uh, I've now installed it and uninstalled it like five or six times, and it's the temporary door that gets uh, gets my contractors uh, you know happy or appeased that at least I've got something so they can secure the building. You know, with the blue tarp, it's keep the rain out. With the garage door, it's secure the building and keep people out or keep whatever they're storing in uh, safe. And um, so that blue tarp could be, you know, a mismatched door. It could be a section that doesn't match, but it it gets a solution for your customer. And um, 
you know, we all have doors that are kind of mostly laying around and different things like that. So utilize those things to help with your customer service, because even on new construction, customer service is really what we're selling. You know, the product comes along with it, but the customer service is what people are buying. When I was in the manufacturing side of the door business, I had a customer in Guatemala City. And in Guatemala, there are a lot of garages and a lot of openings that they're using garage doors to fill, but they're all different. So we developed this, a solution for the Guatemalan distributor where they would buy sections, commercial door sections with the end styles loose. And in fact, they also bought residential race panel steel doors with the end styles loose. And then what they would do was cut those down. So we had some very odd looking door designs that were going in the shipping containers that we sent to Guatemala. But for them, that was the best way to buy a product that they could then adapt to different openings depending on what they found because there were no common standard door openings in, in those solutions. And then we actually had some stateside distributors that took the same strategy, not for their full door inventory, obviously, but they would, they would stock a certain amount of replacement sections so they would have them on hand. And then that gave them some flexibility on the inventory. Yeah, we utilize um, a system similar to that. And, and you know, it doesn't matter which manufacturer you buy from specifically for sectional products is that most of them have some kind of either slab program or different things like that. So we're stocking, you know, 22 foot long slabs in inch and five eighths polyurethane, two inch polyurethane um, in non-insulated. And so it's just uh, the rolled, basically the skin on a non-insulated door and we have the styles shipped separately. And that way we can, you know, if we need a 16 foot, we can cut it down. If we need an eight foot, we can cut it down and make it and uh, put the styles in the locations that are needed because many of us know that manufacturers don't always put the styles in the same location as all the other manufacturers. So we we can cut those down and style them as needed. And that's just a customer service strategy. We do that mostly for you know our service-based business and, the, and, and our customers that are on the service side of things. But we've done that. A another story, we bought all of the polyurethane slabs that we could get our hands on from like five different distributors in California and cut them all down to fill a three-door order. And so we picked up stuff in Fresno, stuff in LA, stuff in Sacramento, because all, all the different warehouses kind of had a few, but not enough to make anything of it. And we needed a door on super short notice. This was just like maybe a month ago. And uh, so we drove around, the customer was like, I'll pay the bill, whatever it is, I need it. So we drove around, we picked them all up, we cut them down, we cut the springs in house, we put together that service package. You know, that slab program was what allowed us actually to do that. So yeah, that's a, that's a good strategy. Just learn what you, is in your market, because if you have a customer that needs something on short notice, and it's obviously a long, long lead time item, as everything is right now, yeah, grab something that is flexible that you could cut down or, you know, non-insulated, you can cut it down and style it, add the insulation if you need it to be vinyl back insulated, you know, rolling steel slats, you know, those are pretty easy to stock in 24 foot, 26 foot lengths and cut them to length, you know, keep the slat, you know, keep the slats in the end and the end locks on hand and take better care of your customers. Most of the time they will pay for it. That's not the gripe that we've been fighting is the bill. We've been fighting the lead time. I was going to ask you about rolling steel. So as long as the technician knows how to rivet the end locks on, why not? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, just because a, a sectional, you know, a lot of us are like, oh, sectional doors, those are easy. We can swap out sections, no problem. You know, with a, with a little bit of training, a rolling steel door is, you know, just as easy to service. And if you have the parts, rolling steel is a huge, in, in, in the Bay Area, 
uh, rolling steel is probably more prevalent than sectional as far as our as a our service market. And so all of our guys that we've got are know how to do that, and we stock that that product as well. I have a friend whose mantra is "It's never not about money." That's his saying. So as we've been talking about all of these things, obviously the investment we have in in the selling process, the investment in 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 inventory, the investment in advertising and marketing, it's all about turning your efforts into profit. One of the things we have to figure out is how can we look at inventory strategies from a, a more holistic viewpoint so that we can turn all those other investments through the inventory process into profitability on the balance sheet. Other strategies you can think of? Um, a big one uh, for us, especially on large projects, is getting the material delivered directly to the job site. That does a couple of things. Is One, it prevents us from having to handle uh, that material at our warehouse and then loading it to get onto a trailer and handling it again at the job site and so on and so forth. So we're able to reduce our damage and increase our efficiency as far as getting the material directly to the job site by having it just delivered to the job site. By having it delivered directly to the job site, a lot of times you're able to do a billing associated with when the material lands there. So even though you may not be all the way through your installation or you maybe have just started installation, a lot of contractors or a lot of customers will allow for a billing or maybe you have a milestone in your contract or your proposal with the customer that says once the material is on site, you're able to bill X percentage or X amount of dollars. And so not only is it getting to the job site sooner, it's getting there with less handling, uh, which means less damage and so on and so forth and allows you to maybe do that billing sooner than later. Having things delivered directly to the job site as well, you're able to show the customer where that material is coming from and that you haven't had it the whole time. It's coming from directly from the manufacturer. I'm having it shipped directly to you. It's a conversation about um, the lead times you maybe have been dealing with in, in with your customer. Let's go back and talk about your Salt Lake City dock job that you talked about earlier. So on that one, let's let's pretend that the equipment had already come in and it was in storage in your warehouse and you went and met with a contractor and you said, I'm ready to deliver this stuff and get ready to install it because I need to get it out of my warehouse. And he says, no, wait, you got to hold off another month. We're way behind schedule here. We're six weeks behind, whatever the situation is. What about in that situation? Are you able to do a partial billing, even though it's not on the job site, but it's in your warehouse? And and that essentially the contractor is refusing to accept delivery to the job site, and, which is not a bad idea because as you said, we don't want to get it beat up and handled too many times. Yeah, that one's a little bit tougher, but most of the time for my business, uh, we're going to be in a contractually related type of a situation there. And um, we have done billings where we have the material, it's being warehoused at our location. You need to have a little bit more documentation. So you'll send pictures of the material or possibly pictures of the serial numbers of the doors or the equipment that you've got. And also what I've seen that customers will require, at least commercial customers is they're going to require your insurance to show that your warehouse insurance is adequate to cover the materials that basically if you bill them for them they own and you are then just warehousing because once once they pay the bill they own that material even though it's in your warehouse so they want to make sure that you have adequate insurance coverage to cover whatever the cost of those materials are and you know if you have a, a very large job and you got fifty thousand dollars worth of this or that or a hundred thousand dollars of something sitting in your warehouse yeah you might want to you might want to look at what insurance you have anyways 
usually it's just a, a couple more steps and a few more processes that maybe need to go through and getting some pictures and some some proof of insurance coverages to allow to bill, even though it's not on site in their possession yet. It never hurts to ask, right? The worst that happens yeah. is they can say no, right? <laughs> yeah, it never hurts to ask. You know, if if you ask somebody for a fifty percent deposit and they say no, well, they might have said yes. <laughs> and I take fifty percent deposit up front. I'd man, I'd take that deal all day. Obviously, part of this is knowing the customer as well and knowing knowing what their expectations are and. A lot of that goes back to the relationship that you have with a customer, especially with general contractors. Hopefully you're doing repeat business with them. And as you found yourself bending over backwards for your contractors during these quote unquote turbulent times, I'm going to say it out loud. Please don't shoot me in these unprecedented times. You know, we've gotten pretty sick of hearing that, but as we, as we do all of these things, and as we jump through all of these hoops to try to get through this, this period, one of the things that's really coming to light is that we're not in the door business, are we? We're in the service business. Yeah, we are in the service business, whether that is because it's actually service or it's replacement and retrofit, residential, commercial, new construction, you know, different things like that. Our customers are buying the services that we provide and those services come with materials. So the materials come along but our service is really the part that uh, that they're buying, and your installers out in the field are a representation of that. A lot of times, they're the you know they're the they're the frontline worker, and and they're the face of your company a lot of the time. So, you know, I think that uh, whether or not you're residential or commercial, whether you know the repeat business or just the good reviews, all of those types of things, being a service minded company, that doesn't always mean that the customer is right. You are making good business decisions that protect your business and in turn, make you look good to your customers. Well, I hope our listeners will tune into our podcast with Market Hardware. And we actually talk in a lot more detail about managing your online presence and managing the reviews that you see. So that's another rabbit hole we could go down. But we're about out of time today, Brenton. So what I wanted to, you know, kind of come to in a close is it has been difficult since we came back from Salt Lake City a, a, more than a year ago now. Uh, you've seen a lot. We've all seen a lot and been through a lot. We've heard a lot of horror stories. And we're all commiserating, of course, because everyone in the industry is in the same boat. So as we as we close, what other thoughts, pearls of wisdom, what, what else can you offer uh, as encouragement to our listeners? I would say that you know, there's light at the end of this tunnel as far as the COVID portion of it. Something that has helped me and I think could help other people is the networking and working with other IDA members or other face group, you know, group members or other things like that is reach out to your friends and coworkers and stuff like that in the industry because a, a challenge that you're dealing with now might be something that someone else is is very experienced at or is, you know, dealt with last week or last month. I had a guy that uh, I know very well reach out to me. He is on the other side of the country. He, he touched his state touches a different ocean than my state. And he called me and said, Hey, what would you do in this situation? And he forwarded me some emails and he and I talked back and forth and tried to create a strategy that I've used and that he could modify to uh, work with his customer and his contractor and so on and so forth. So 
you know, we're all in this together, but that doesn't mean you're alone and need to make up your own solutions for everything. So I would say, reach out, talk to people, utilize the network. You know, that's what we're here for. And, you know, coming out of Salt Lake and then having to, to cancel, you know, Expo, one thing that I learned is that the, the togetherness of our community being, you know, the IDA community and our membership and our industry is, a, is strong. And I would suspect that most of the situations you're in, you know, someone who's either already dealt with that or is currently dealing with it and we're stronger together. Well, thanks for the plug, because I was about to mention that IDA has a Facebook group called IDA Community. And we actually set that up post COVID so that our members could go on there and ask a question. Does anybody have a 12 foot two by 24 inch bottom section that I can borrow because I have to fill this opening and I can't get one in in time? And we had we had uh, individuals talking about how to deal with with uh, submitting grant paperwork to the federal government for some of some of the uh, programs. We had people talking about lead times and in this, in essence, just really commiserating. But there was also some, some good things that came out of that. So so a shameless plug. If you're on Facebook, make sure that you like IDA, of course, International Door Association. But check out IDA community. That's another another way to network. After all, we are an association. So. So with that, Brent, I want to thank you for taking time today. I know you're busy. You're, you're trying to you're trying to sell doors, which is always a good thing. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Brent Cheney is the IDA president. If you want to reach him and you don't know how to get all of him, you can always send a, an email to us and we'll connect you with Brenton. Uh, that's info at doors.org. I hope you, uh, you have a good weekend, Brenton. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. It's always good to talk to you, Mike. Take care. Have a great weekend. And to our listeners, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. We hope you enjoyed today's IDA DoorCast, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the IDA DoorCast. Be sure to catch our next episode. For more information about IDA, visit doors.org. See you next time.